Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. Okay. For those of you watching online, welcome. Um, welcome to my aunt and my uncle who are watching online from Florida. Uh, special welcome to you guys. And believe it or not, here in Indiana, Pennsylvania, we think we're living in Florida today. It's going to be close to the mid to high 60s, so we're excited about that. Um, you would think it's summertime in Indiana. So let's, uh, let's uh, pray for the, the message, and then we're going to jump into Hebrews chapter 9. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you love to speak through your word. Holy Spirit, we pray, I ask that you would minister particularly to those who just feel condemned in their conscience often. Lord, I pray you would use this passage to set them free once for all. And we will give you all the praise for that. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Get situated here. So if you have a Bible, uh, turn to Hebrews chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible, no problem. It'll be projected uh, on the screen behind us. The title of today's sermon is entitled, Once for All. And you'll see eventually in this passage, I took the title right from a phrase that is found at the end of this passage. And I, I chose the title for a very intentional reason. I want us to get our minds around the idea of events that happen, that once they happen, they have these lifelong implications. So I want you first to think of just our country. So when the Declaration of Independence was signed, that was something that, that created a once-for-all effect, that as the signers are signing and knowing the implications that we are going to be the United States of America, that had long, far-reaching consequences. When the Constitution was written and established, it had a once-for-all effect for the citizens of the United States of America. Maybe more personally, imagine that you go to your mailbox tomorrow, and there's a large envelope, and your name is on the envelope, and at the top corner, um, there's a name of a woman named Aunt Martha, and you, you're, you're wondering, I, I don't have an Aunt Martha, but you open the package and you find out as you begin to read this will that is in this letter, you, you actually did have an Aunt Martha and it turns out she was loaded with money. And as you're reading, you are the sole recipient of Aunt Martha's complete inheritance. Her estate, all her property, all her investments, all come to you. And as the days and weeks and months go by, you begin to, to realize that this inheritance was far greater than you could have ever imagined. So it has this once-for-all effect that not only affected your livelihood for the rest of your life, but your friends and your family members. See, one thing happened, and it had this ripple effect that just kept happening and happening and happening. Well, I imagine you could come up with your own examples, but there are just a lot of, of instances where these one-time events have these ripple effects that go on forever. What we're going to see in our passage this morning, there is no one-time event that has a greater ripple effect in the lives of human beings than what Jesus did when he came to earth, lived a perfect life, 
died on the cross and rose from the grave. It's a once for all event that has these massive ripple effects for all who trust in Jesus. So I said we're gonna go through chapter nine today, but we're gonna start with a reminder from chapter eight. So look at Hebrews chapter eight, verses five through seven. So be a little review from last week. The author writes, they serve as a copy and a shadow of heavenly things. That's the the Old Testament law, the Old Testament tabernacle. They're, They're a copy and shadow. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God and saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain, on the Mount Sinai when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better. A covenant is an agreement that God makes with a people since it enacted on a better promise. For the first covenant, if it had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for the second. This is kind of like jumping right into the middle of a book or right into the middle of a movie. There, there's some confusing language and details. What, what he's talking about here is the author of Hebrews is writing to Jewish Christians and he has the Old Testament in mind. And he wants them to know that the Old Testament law and its sacrificial system, it was a copy and a shadow. It was incomplete for several reasons. And, and what, he, what he's showing them that is that Jesus was the actual fulfillment. Jesus brings this better covenant that we learned about. And if you were here last week, you might remember that I showed you a picture. If you could put the picture up. Does anybody know what the, the big wheeled car is called from last week? Quadricycle. Qu- quadricycle. Good job. So that is Henry Ford's first car, the Quadricycle, uh, made in 1896. See if you're paying attention, top speed of a Quadricycle is what? 20 miles per hour. It had two gears, 10 and 20. And... The car on the right, who knows what it is? Bugatti. Anybody know what kind of Bugatti? (laughs) Close, Jim. Uh, It is a Bugatti Bola. I don't know if you pronounce that right. Top speed, 310,000. 310. (laughs) It is not a jet. 310 miles per hour. This is the coolest part, I think. Zero to 60 in 2.16 seconds. That's quick. Um, That is real quick. So as you're looking at these pictures, the purpose of these pictures last week was I was comparing the quadricycle to the Old Testament law. It had its purpose. But then when Jesus brought in the new covenant, it's like the Bugatti. It just makes the other one obsolete. Now there might be some breakdowns in this analogy, so don't push it too far. But the point is Jesus brought in a much better covenant. With, with much better terms. And we're going to see the details of that today. And the author of Hebrews is going to walk us through why is what Jesus did so much better? And how is it such a once-for-all event that has this ongoing ripple effect throughout human history for all who trust in Jesus? That's what we're going to see. So, point number one, First ripple, we can draw near once for all. We can draw near to God once for all. Jason, when he preached a few weeks ago, he used the word 
access. Because of what Jesus has done, we who trust in him have unlimited access. Look at verse one. This is kind of a long chapter, so we're gonna hit this at a pretty high elevation. So if we're in an airplane, we're about 30,000 feet today. We're gonna dip in a little bit, but we're gonna stay up pretty high. So if you love details, um, our Bible study that meets Sunday mornings is also gonna be going through Hebrews. So you can jump in, bring your questions, take notes, and you can ask all your detailed questions. But we're going to just stay up at, at the 30,000 foot level today. Verse one, now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the, the, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place. So we got the holy place and the most holy place. Having the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna, the manna that God provided in the wilderness wanderings, and Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant, Ten Commandments. Above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot speak in detail. So if you read parts of the Old Testament, particularly the first five books, particularly the book of Numbers or, or um, Leviticus, you'll see all these detailed rules of, of how God laid out that we're in, in the book of Exodus of how we can have, how the Jewish people could have access to a holy God. And what you see is that the access was very, very, very limited. Major, major restrictions. I've never done this and I wouldn't recommend it, but I imagine if we got in a car today and we wanted to go to the Pentagon and go into the Pentagon and I'm the driver and you're in the car with me, we're not gonna get even close to the Pentagon. We are gonna meet opposition restrictions immediately upon arrival. And it won't be like close to the Pentagon. It'll just be like, Maybe we can see it, maybe we can't, but we'll be in the proximity. As soon as we get in the proximity, there will be restrictions. And the more we push against that, the more consequences there will be. Well, in the Old Testament, there were elaborate ways that someone could come into God's presence. And really, it was the high priest that could go in to the Holy of Holies. And that high priest could go in under certain conditions. He needed to be from the tribe of Levi. He needed to have a sacrifice for his own sins and the sins of the people. But it was highly, highly restricted. And that's what the author of Hebrews is talking about here. Look at verse six. These preparations, these Old Testament preparations, for the tabernacle, having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties. But in the second, only the high priest goes and but once a year. And not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. But by this, the Holy Spirit indicates the way into the holy place is not yet open 
as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for this present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered and cannot be cannot perfect the conscience, and I want you to remember that word, cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings and regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. That little phrase, the conscience of the worshiper, should give us all a clue that, hey, this actually does have something to do with us. This has something very important to do with us that can really help us because what we're starting to see here from the author of Hebrews is there are some problems, some insufficiencies with the Old Testament law, particularly the Mosaic Covenant. The first glaring weakness that we talked about last week was human inability. So the problem with God's law, with God's perfect standard and rules is not the rules themselves. The rules were good. They were to be a protection for the people. The problem is our human, the Bible says sinful nature, makes it impossible for us to keep the law in and of ourselves, which is why the new covenant is such good news that not only does Jesus open the way and access to the Lord once for all, but God's spirit comes inside of us and we actually have desires and abilities that, that change. We have, we have power from the inside out by and from the Holy Spirit so that we can actually do the things that the Lord requires. This is what Ezekiel was talking about in Ezekiel 36. This is the promise of the, the new covenant, the new way God will relate to those who trust in his son Jesus. I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone, that hardened, corrupt heart of stone from your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. I will make it soft, pliable. I will put my spirit within you. And I will cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules. Last week we talked about two points. We have access to the Lord and we, we can change. There can actually be life transformation from the inside out. That is good news. If you are honest and you struggle with any kind of habitual patterns of sin in any way, the good news that in Jesus, in the new covenant, God's spirit comes inside of us and he actually changes us. And he gives us ability. And, and I used the example last week of imagine if one of you purchased an old farmhouse. That, that was rough. It looked rough. The windows were shot. The roof was shot. It just was rough. And the first thing you did after you put a new roof on it is you gutted the whole thing. And so if we were driving by your farmhouse, we'd think, man, that, that thing, nice roof, but it looks rough. But what we wouldn't know until we went inside is, oh, you know what? They put in a new electric. They put in new plumbing. All the infrastructure inside of the house has been made new. And now as the house is put together, still an old farmhouse, but it is brand new from the inside out. When you call on Jesus and put your trust in Jesus, you're like that farmhouse. 
and the transformation begins and will continue until the day you go to be with the Lord. So the, the old covenant had some, some limitations. One was human inability. The other was limited access to God's presence. God made a way which was kind and gracious, but it was so limited to who could go into God's presence and when they could go into God's presence. Not so since Jesus has come. Listen to this access from Hebrews. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross, paying for our sins, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So when we, through Jesus, through faith in Jesus, approach God, it's a throne of grace. It's not a judgment throne. We're going as as his sons and daughters if we have been saved by Jesus. And we have unlimited access at every moment of your life as a believer. You can approach the living God. If you wake up in the middle of the night worried and weighed down by something, you can talk to the Lord immediately because Jesus paid a once-for-all payment for our debt. The other problem with the Old Covenant was there was a failure to provide a definite once-for-all cleansing for our sins. There was some payment for sin, but that payment was not like Jesus' payment. It was not a once-for-all cancellation of all debt, present and future and past. See, in Jesus, we have this once-for-all payment for sin. John talks about this way. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. The old covenant, the old arrangement, could not give us the scrub down from the inside out. It just could not. It had limitations. Jesus' blood has no limitations. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, his blood can wash and cleanse if you come to him. This is why Hebrews 7, the author says, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. He's the guarantor. He guarantees a better way if you turn from your sins and trust in Jesus. And if that happens, point number two is true for you. Our, re- our redemption has been secured once for all. Our redemption. The debt of sin that we racked up against God has been paid for. We have been purchased by Jesus Christ. Look at verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent... See, the the tabernacle and the Holy of Holies, it represented God's presence, but Jesus went physically right into God's presence, the more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of creation. 
he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, securing eternal redemption. Eternal redemption. Meaning the moment you trust in Jesus, you are given eternal life and your debt has been paid for forever. And so once that's paid for and once you've received it, it is yours. You will not lose it. You can be secure in the reality that you have eternal redemption. Now let's say the Aunt Martha story was true and I was outside today greeting people as they came in and I saw the car you were driving. I was like, ah, man, they could really use a new car. And let's say... Aunt Martha, you know, she was loaded. And so I say to you, you know, tell me your favorite car. And you tell me your favorite car. And without even talking to you, I go and buy that car for you. Go to the car dealer. I pay for it. Um, it's, it's done. It's, it is settled. And then I tell you, hey, um, I had Aunt Martha. She was really rich. And I bought you the car of your dreams. And all you need to do is take this piece of paper go down to the car dealer, and drive it away. See, what, what I did there is I, I paid for it. And they're going to redeem it when they take this paper to the car dealer. And so um, their responsibility is to receive the gift that has been given. Your responsibility when it comes to the living God is to receive the gift of salvation that Jesus makes possible. This verse in Ephesians 2 was like beautiful when I was a 19-year-old and heard it for the first time, and it is still beautiful. It is the, the beauty of the freeness of the new covenant, of the way we can relate to God. Listen to this. For by grace you have been saved through faith, through trusting. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. See, the, if you want to just sum up the difference between Bible-believing Christianity and all other world religions, it's, this verse really, really cuts through a lot of the confusion. The difference is, in Christianity, salvation is a free gift that was purchased by another, purchased by Jesus, who was fully God, and fully man. All other religion or philosophy is some mixture of a works-based salvation. Meaning you have to do this, this, and this, or not do this, this, and this, and if you do it well enough, you'll be accepted or you'll have inner peace. The Bible is much more accurate and realistic saying, you can never do enough. You can never earn enough. You can never reach perfection because of your original sin. You are fatally flawed like the rest of us. But the good news is Jesus came to pay your debt, a debt you could never pay. And so there's an exchange that happens when you call out to Jesus. He pays for your sins and his perfection is credited to your account. That's the good news that's the eternal redemption. And so if you call out to Jesus and he rescues you, you are safe and secure 
forever. Listen to John 10. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. This is his people. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. Jesus saves, he forgives, he cleanses, and he will not lose any of those who call on his name. So we have been saved if we call out to Jesus. Look at verse 13. And there are many benefits to that. For the the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with ashes of a heifer, seems weird in our context, sanctify for the purification of the flesh. How much more will the blood of Christ, that's the, the title for Messiah, describing Jesus, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God? The perfect sacrifice. Now listen to this. How much more will Jesus, who is without blemish, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? One of the things I think the Lord wants us to understand, and maybe there's fuzziness in our understanding, is how much this once-for-all sacrifice is to have these deep ripple effects into our heart, mind, and soul particularly when it comes to our conscience, to us feeling guilty, to us feeling ashamed. See, I think there are some in this room or some watching that there there might be one thing that you did at one point in your life that just hangs there and hounds you. And, and, And one of the things that the Bible says is Satan is the accuser of the brother. He's, oh yeah, if they only knew. They only knew you are such an evil, wicked person if they only knew. And, and what that does inside of you is it gets you all stirred up and messed up and, and you don't get to experience the freedom that Jesus has purchased for you. The image I have in my head is of a, of a, a big tree that falls down in a creek. And so you have this beautiful flowing stream that a big tree falls down and all this debris gets caught and then the water gets stagnant and that's how you feel and it might be one thing you once did or it might be a a period of your life where you just kind of went wild and you did things you regret and you're trying to atone for those to make up for those here's the thing here's the beauty Jesus atoned for them Jesus paid for them Jesus alone can cleanse your conscience. He can deal with your shame and your guilt on the deepest level. And I believe the Holy Spirit wants to impress that deeply upon some of you because you're just stuck. You believe in Jesus. You've turned to Jesus, but it's like this this thing that just hangs there and hounds you. I was reading this, this story, or this true story, in this book I, I'm reading right now by a pastor who has since um, went to be with the Lord. And he writes of a guy who, he, had be, he lived a wild life, he had become a Christian. I think he was, he was working in Christian ministry. And word got out of some of the really bad stuff that he did. 
So what the man did before, a, uh, a, I think it was a church, I don't know if it was a Sunday or a Christian gathering, he stood up and read the things that people were saying about him. And he read them in great detail. And he said, every one of these is absolutely true. I did every one of them. And Jesus shed his blood for every one of them. And the man was free to go on and serve the Lord. That's the good news of the gospel. We are not talking about external religious duty. We're talking about a personal relationship with the living God. And when that happens, God's spirit comes inside of you and he makes you new. And he loves you. He delights over you no matter what you have done. All freedom comes in owning the sin, turning from the sin, and really believing that Jesus, his shed blood, cleanses you once for all, removing all guilt and all shame. That's the good news. Look at verse 14 again. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. See, Jesus saves us so that we can serve him. We can be free to use our gifts to serve him. You have gifts that God has given you. And it's nothing like shame or guilt to, to just feel like it just sits you on the bench. It's just, you're, you're, you're on probation. You put yourself on probation. That's not how God wants you to live. He wants you to be free to serve him. And as you turn to him and as you believe of this once for all sacrifice and you understand the depth of it, oh, you will be free to serve the living God. One of the things we talk about at Saving Grace Church and in our, our new members class is the idea that God intends every member of his church, not Saving Grace Church, but the church universal to be active, to use their gifts and abilities to serve him. And one way to be active is, is the more you understand how good the good news of Jesus is, the more active you will be in using your gifts and talents to serve him. Point three, we have received eternal life once for all. Verse 15, therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. In Jesus, you have received the promise of an eternal inheritance. Verse 16, for where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established, for a will takes effect only at death. Since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. So will kicks in when the person passes. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet and wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled the blood, both of the tent and of the vessel used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. 
So Jesus mediates, he, he brings in, he initiates, inaugurates this new covenant. And in this new covenant, we are given an eternal inheritance the moment we believe. John 3.16, John writes, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. If you've turned to Jesus, you need not fear what happens when you die. You have been given eternal life. The moment you die, the Apostle Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We have received eternal life once for all. Last point, our sin has been dealt with once for all. And what, what he's doing here, he's just unpacking different layers and implications of what Jesus has done for us. Look at verse 23. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, not to appear in the presence of God, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Jesus appears before the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, here's where we got our title, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. I mean, picture the biggest rock you can imagine being thrown into, the biggest lake that you can imagine, and it splashes and just ripple effect after ripple effect after ripple effect. That's the intention of Jesus's death once for all. And just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that come judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him. Jesus appeared once to put away sin. All of us, all human beings, young and old alike, rich and poor alike, all of us are going to face God's judgment. And on that day, there's really two options. We stand before God, the judge, who is perfectly holy and righteous, and we stand there by ourselves, giving an account for all our thoughts, words, deeds, actions, for all the days we were allowed to live and all the guilt that comes with that. Or that day comes and we are perfectly clothed and covered with Jesus' absolute perfection. And when that day happens, we are welcomed in to God's presence. All because Jesus gave us access. Because he opened the way once for all. And how you end up over here is by calling out to Jesus and putting your trust in Jesus Christ alone for your 
salvation. See, in Christ, we can draw near once for all. In Christ, our redemption has been secured once for all. In Christ, we have received eternal life once for all. And in Christ, our sin has been dealt with once for all. That is really, really good news. Let's all stand. I'm going to pray. And the band can come up and lead us in our final song. Holy Spirit, we ask right now that any who feel the guilt and weight of their sin, who don't know you, would turn to you, would repent of their sins and trust you as the perfect payment for their debt. And Lord, for any guilty Christians who are watching or in this room, Lord, may you impress deeply upon them the absolute forgiveness of their sins. And may they leave lighter, not condemned, and excited to serve the living God. And we will give you all the glory and praise. We ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.